You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to First Bite, the Pride of Detroit preview podcast, where we are previewing the Lions off season, even though we're kind of in the midst of it already. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the managing editor of Pride of Detroit and your co-host for First Bite. With me this episode, Chris Perfett is back. Chris, welcome back. Hello. I have, I, I basically shanghai my way on i forced my way into this podcast because I've been working so much. I, I missed the last two Sunday ones. We won't talk about that much here. We'll save that for the Sunday conversation. But I basically told Jeremy, it's like, no, get, I, I'm, I'm back. Get, give me this. Give me <laughs> the we're, ox. We're happy to have you back. And we've got uh, an interesting topic this week. Uh, as you've probably, if you've been listening to the podcast, know we've been profiling head coaching and general manager candidates for the Detroit Lions. We're going with the very first one that was interviewed, which is in, in and of itself kind of interesting, um, a mm-hmm. name that you're all probably quite familiar with, and that's former Bengals head coach Marvin Lewis. Uh, don't now, turn off the podcast. No, don't turn <laughs> off the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you might be fast forwarding to the next episode because it might not be the most exciting candidate, but um, we, we brought along a special guest as we normally do to maybe get into the, the nitty gritty, maybe find out some, some positive things about a guy who went 0-7 in the playoffs as his reign uh, with the Bengals. And that man is Joe Goodberry. You probably know him from the athletic uh, Bengals wire uh, Cincy jungle. I mean, he's been through the ringer there over in Cincy. Uh, Joe, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. And this is my favorite topic of, of uh, the last, well, since forever for me, my whole Bengals fandom in my adult life has been Marvin Lewis. And it's been a long conversation. Now I get to relive it again. (laughs) well yeah we're sorry we're sorry uh hopefully this won't be too painful um but let's just start with the the very basics if you were to say like what are the the prime tenants of a marvin lewis coach team what are they you know it's funny because uh, i see marvin lewis's name pop up and i believe the two first visits he's had or interviews he's had is detroit lions new york jets and i kind of look at the Bengals and i say well they're not so dissimilar um, and I say that because, well, these teams haven't won recently and we're going on a long, long streak, the Lions and Bengals right here of not, you know, succeeding in the postseason. But when I look at it, I say, OK, so what does Marvin bring to the table uh, for those organizations? Why would he be attractive for those ones in particular? And, and maybe it's because of the similarities, right, because he can bring at least raise the level of where you've been and get it to at least a respectable level. And I think when you're in the basement and no offense to that, I mean, we're there with you guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> When you're in the basement, you'll love to get up to the first floor, even if that means you're not getting to that ultimate goal, which we all know is winning a Super Bowl and bringing that Lombardi Trophy home. 
but you just want to know you're on the right track. You want some semblance of respect in the league. You're, you're tired of being, you know, the teams that no one really talks about. And I think Marvin can at least get you there. And I think that's why he's interesting for a lot of um, other organizations. Cause if you have been able to at least, and I call it a success in Cincinnati, and I know we'll get to that and, and what that really means, uh, you know, and if, if that's something your franchise may want. But I think when you've had success in Cincinnati under Mike Brown, under the conditions that he did, and I'm sure we'll get into that too, I think that is very appealing to a lot of teams and a lot of organizations to, okay, this guy has at least had some success and can get us to the level of at least, or at least on the right path to get us on that track. And, and to that credit, I, I did want to bring this up before we get got too much into it, because I know Jeremy leads with the 0-7 stat for his playoffs, but it's important to look at who the Bengals were before Marvin Lewis came to town. You know, he came in in 2003. They hadn't had a winning season since 1990 under Sam Weish. Like the Dave Shula and Bruce Coslett and the Dick LeBeau hires, none of them won in, in Cincinnati. And, you know, there's there's extenuating circumstances with Cincinnati. The owner is, I hate to say it, a meddler at the end of the day. And I know there was some back and forth control over personnel issues. But, you know, Marvin Lewis, for better or worse, did come in and put Cincinnati back on the track to at least, you know, getting to the playoffs and winning wild cards and winning divisional titles. That's right. The 80s were the glory days for the Bengals. They went to two Super Bowls, didn't win either of them. They ran into the buzzsaw in the dynasty of the 49ers. And, you know, that happens. Uh, but it really was the, the transition from Paul Brown, who is one of the, you know, Mount Rushmore's of the NFL to Mike Brown, who has been what's the opposite of Mount Rushmore, right? And then, <laughs> Mike Brown would be on that one, whatever that is. But, you know, and that started right in 90 or 91. And since then, I mean, the dark ages were the 90s, is what we call them, to go from such a high point in the 80s to just being dreadful. That you, I remember thinking the Bengals weren't a real NFL team when I was a kid. I was born in 87. So, you know, I'm like six years old. Like, are they a real team? I mean, they're terrible. <laughs> to the point of, yeah, you need somebody. You need, And I remember at the time, um, 2002, there, you, we look back now, we see – the letters a bunch of old players wrote to Mike Brown and and, and published in the, the local newspaper of you need to hire Marvin Lewis. You need to go after this guy, we, you know, being in Baltimore, winning a Super Bowl as a defense coordinator there. He's the guy who could bring respectability for whatever reason. I, they must have known at the time that he was the guy that could maybe challenge Mike Brown into raising the level a little bit. And they were right on that call. And then, and Mike Brown listened. And that was the thing, really, if there's a, a like a, there's a lot of details in that 16 years, but if there's a trend throughout that 16, it's the more power going to Marvin Lewis and less coming from Mike Brown, all the way to the point of when he left, when when Marvin uh, left the, the organization, it's been widely reported that Mike Brown wasn't ready to do that yet. Still, he would have probably extended him if uh, if he could have. They were he really respected him. He believed he was a good coach and that he could get this team to where they needed to go. Uh, but really, it was his family, and now what we call Duke Tobin, the, the GM, he's the uh, director of player personnel. He let the the kids and Duke go through it and make the decision and find Zach Taylor. Uh, so I think you know when you look at it from from 2003 to 2018, 
that transition of power really went away from Mike Brown. And I think, you know, that's big in looking at Marvin Lewis and saying, well, what could he have done with a real franchise? Or what could he have done with a franchise that gave him all the tools, an indoor practice facility, an entire scouting staff? The Bengals have the smallest personnel department in the NFL. Uh, and Marvin had no GM. So he did a lot of that. And I kind of wonder, too, are any of these teams bringing him in to consider him in a GM role? I know they're, you know, does it say directly he was interviewed for that coaching job? Or are some of these teams looking at him like, you know, is there some can you have a hand in both areas there? Because the Bengals require their coaches to scout and they are the ones that are basically leading a lot of the pro scouting and college scouting for the players they want to draft. And it's not the same everywhere. So I think Marvin may want to continue some of that. That's, I mean, that's, there's a lot of interesting information there. I think the fact that he's kind of walked the line between GM and head coach is definitely valuable. And, and, and this, I think I seen I've seen some people throw out the theories that maybe this interview was just more of an information gathering type of thing where you're, you're, you're asking him, you know, who would you hire as GM or, and who would you hire as head coach and things like that. And obviously a guy that's been in the NFL for as long as he has, uh, has a ton of knowledge about that sort of stuff. Um, but they, but the lines have also been talking about lines of communication and how important that is and how the power structure needs to be run smoothly. And if you have a guy that knows how to run both sides, well, I think that's uh that makes him an intriguing candidate. Now I, I do want to talk about his legacy in, in Cincy because it, it sounds like it, you even feel maybe a little bit conflicted, you know, obviously didn't get the Lombardi trophy, didn't get a playoff win, but it sounds like you think, well, maybe under another franchise, it could have been possible. Maybe if if their power structure was a little more, um, I don't know, understandable or, or logical, I guess, maybe. Right. Um, d- do you think most people in Cincy were done with him by that point? Or do you think maybe a lot of them thought maybe the Bengals organization just kind of did him wrong in, in the way they, they kind of handled things while he was there? It's a tough balance because at the time, you know, I think everyone could have walked away from Marvin Lewis after the 2015 playoff game against the Steelers that just ended in a complete meltdown. And it was uh, really a microcosm of every time Marvin lost the locker room. And that happened, I mean, 16 years, he rebuilt the roster four times. In 2003, he had to come in and, and get money to sign free agents. Bengals never did that before. And he signed a bunch of low-run guys that, you know, came in and helped fill out the, a terrible roster that had the number one number one pick. They selected Carson Palmer. But, uh, you know, he had to rebuild it then. They got to the playoffs by 2005. They went 8-8 eight and eight that first year. I mean, they, he really was quickly 8-8, eight and 8-8, eight, eight and, eight, and then 11-5 and five in 2005, 2005. So they had a chance, I think, in 2005. Carson Palmer gets his knee blown out in the second play of the game. Deep pass to Chris Henry, and he's down. Your franchise quarterback, you lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Steelers go on and win that Super Bowl. I mean, it's like right there, you're like, geez, you could have beat the team that won the Super Bowl right then and there. And they, they were confident they were going to beat them. They they won that division. They beat them in Pittsburgh or just a few weeks before that. Uh, they lose a bunch of guys. They 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 whiff on the 05 draft because David Pollock, Odell Thurman, and Chris Henry, just as good as they were, were wiped off the NFL map for their own some of their own flaws and own issues uh, within two years. And when you miss on an entire draft, it has ramifications when you can't start, when you can't keep extending, you know, average veterans or even some of your cornerstone players losing to KO spikes and Justin Smith and guys like that, that ended up playing for another 10 years at an extremely high level. So we rebuilt them one more time. Um, they, they, it was for 2009, 2008, Carson Palmer tears his ulnar ligament and his elbow and 2008 was a disaster. And they said, OK, we need to do something. We can't rely on Carson Palmer. We're going to have to rebuild the run game, rebuild the defense, rebuild the uh, offensive line. They hire Mike Zimmer to be a defensive coordinator. 
and it worked. The defense was good. The running game was good. They signed Cedric Benson. He leads their running attack. 2009, they get back to the playoffs. Uh, they play the Jets week 17 and the wild card game. That was a mistake. I mean, they could have beaten the Jets week 17 and played somebody else. I don't remember now. They decided we'll rest. We'll hang out. We'll play the Jets two weeks in a row. Uh, Jets and Rex Ryan handed them uh, a big fat L that week. So they gear up the next year, sign a bunch of free agents, sign Terrell Owens, right? They're going to have this high flying offense. <laughs> we're back. Carson Palmer's elbow feels good. We're going to we're going to lead the league in offense this year with this defense. Blew up in their face completely. Carson Palmer said, I'm out of here. You guys will never win. I'll never step foot in Paul Brown Stadium again. Wow. Mike Brown says, no, you won't. You will play for this team or you will retire. So that's the type of dynamic right there, yes. right? Meanwhile, meanwhile, yeah, exactly. they're they're telling um, Carson Palmer's telling Marvin Lewis, you have to fire the offensive coordinator. We've had the same guy for eight years. This, this the It's done. We, it's too stagnant. we got to get rid of him. This is in January. The Bengals are going to coach the Senior Bowl, and they hired Jay Gruden out of the U, uh, UFL, was it at the time? The the Florida Tuskers. Jay Gruden's brother of John Gruden really never coached in the NFL. It worked. Carson Palmer was retired for all intents and purposes for that first six weeks or so, and they drafted Andy Dalton in round two, and they made the playoffs five straight years. He mm-hmm. rebuilt it. Uh, that was that rebuild again, and they had, to be honest, if you ask a lot of people, especially personnel people or people that do evaluation, 2015 was probably the most talented roster in the entire NFL. I mean, they were talking about guys like Marvin Jones was the the second receiver, Muhammad Sanu, Andrew Hawkins, the two first-round tight ends and Jermaine Gresham and, and Tyler Eifert. Gresham making the Pro Bowl. Offensive lineman, uh, Andrew Whitworth is, in my opinion, be a Hall of Famer. Uh, Andre Smith, first-rounder at right tackle. Kevin Zeitler, first-rounder at right guard. Clint Bowling was a good, long, eight-year starter at left guard. They were good. Jeremy Hill was still good. Giovanni Bernard was still good. They blew it in 2015 after going to the playoffs five straight years and five straight losses in the playoffs, all for different reasons. Guys were hurt, quarterbacks getting hurt, whatever the case may be. They can never get over the hump. But it was also a sign that they can never get over the hump, even in primetime games or against really good teams. They were terrible in those games. And you look and you say, okay, the franchise is limited. The quarterback, Andy Dalton, was limited. I mean, he's an average guy. The, the roster was Tremendous. And the coaching staff is tremendous. Hugh Jackson, uh, Mike Zimmer, Jay Gruden. You had guys who ended up being head coaches. And then you look at Marvin Lewis and you say, can he beat good teams? Can he beat good coaches? And I think at that point, we were all done with it. So that's the the long of the, what do you feel about him? I don't know. I respect him. I, I, I'm happy for the playoffs and, and, and the fun. It was great memories. A lot of real good chances. I think they could have won it in 2015 and in 05, but he just couldn't do it. I mean, so, I mean, it sounds like he just, he basically did at least during the regular season, as much as he could possibly do with all the dysfunction around him, uh, mostly from ownership, but uh, yeah, couldn't get it done uh, well, in the playoffs. I, go ahead. One Ryan. of the things, yeah. Sorry. J- sorry, Jeremy. G- no, uh, go ahead. no, I was just going to say like that 2015 team too. I just wanted to marvel at that. Cause I know that was like second in DVOA. And as mm-hmm. you said, you look at that roster, like probably the one year we got of Tyler Eifert where he was mostly healthy. Um, so like that, and, and for a guy whose background is defense, that was a year where he just had just a high, as you say, a high flying offense and all of that. Um, so he clearly knows how to hire, you know, an offensive coordinator. I guess my two questions looking at him would be, you know, looking forward is like how much that translates to the modern NFL that's going on. Although we can talk about that a little later, but I I did want to get some background on like, because Marvin Lewis, you know, he goes out in uh, 
20 he goes out in 2019 he's no longer on the team and we haven't heard from him in about uh two years so i don't know if you could fill us in on what he's been doing since then because i know he's been with arizona state but i'm kind of mm-hmm. curious if anything he's been doing at arizona state has engendered him to be uh thought again in the nfl ranks or if it's just kind of been a holding pattern for him you know he was going to retire completely so i mean that was always his goal i believe it was his daughter that went to arizona state university and ended up um, living in arizona so he moved out there and uh is the reason why the bengals actually signed vontez perfect also out of arizona state was because he had connections there and he said you know i think this guy will actually work out he'll be okay in the nfl which he was half right. And um, so, yeah. and so his buddy Herm Edwards gets the head coaching job there. And Herm's like, you know, I can bring you on. And I forget what rule it was that he couldn't take the coordinator position there. So he took a, an assistant position and then um, did take over coordinator, but then ended up not coaching this year because of the COVID situation. So I don't think it was anything that he did that endeared him more to teams. I think it's just that teams realized he is still willing or wanting to coach. There was an interview recently, and I can't remember who did it now, and I feel terrible because it was probably somebody that uh, I I frequently talk with. But they talked to Marvin throughout the year, and and it was – the spark was rekindled for him. With that last year with the Bengals, he had to fire Terrell Austin as the defensive coordinator. He's doing fine with the Steelers now. But for whatever reason, it didn't work with the Bengals. And Marvin had to – coach the the defensive side of the ball like he never has. You know, you usually when you get a guy who's an offensive guy or a defensive guy, they'll have that hand on that side, of course. Uh, Marvin kind of ended up, you know, both hands off throughout the 16 years to the point where he was a really good manager. He knew he would hire good coordinators. They can handle it. He can handle the more mundane things or, you know, it's the important stuff, but really not the day-to-day game planning. Uh, and I think once he got back into it, it rekindled something in him. And they were okay, They, you know, for really not doing it as a full-time job and still being the head coach. They were okay on defense for that final stretch. Uh, so I think going back and then coaching some young guys and doing that in college, I think maybe rekindled it a little bit. So it must be him reaching out and saying, you know, I'm ready if you guys are interested. And he's getting enough interest that I, I think it's warranted at this point that he may get a job. All right, let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about his philosophy in terms of what kind of football team he's trying to build. And if he's trying to, if the lines do hire him, maybe what sort of hires he makes around him to potentially rebuild that Detroit Lions team that definitely needs a pretty hefty rebuild. So stick with us on First Bite. We'll be right back with Joe Goodberry. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. 
from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And we are back with First Bite. We're with Joe Goodberry here talking about Marvin Lewis, the Lions' first head coaching candidate that was interviewed about a week ago. Um, let's get into what kind of team he would build in Detroit. Um, obviously, he comes from a, def- a defensive-minded background. Um, in terms of you know overall like coaching philosophy about what he thinks about the game of football, how you win football games, how would you describe Marvin Lewis? Is it something that you know he has a very specific thing in mind, or has it evolved over time? Is he is he capable of you know living in a, in a world where passing reigns supreme, or is he just kind of like the old school stop the run, run the ball kind of guy? I don't think he's entirely old school, but there have been comments in the past of we want to win in the fourth quarter on the last drive type thing. And, you know, that was always icky to me. Like, no, don't do that. No, your team's not good enough to do that. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's just not one that way anymore. And but at the same time, he only had three offensive coordinators that whole time there until the final couple of years. It was Bob Rakowski and Carson Palmer and. Chad Johnson, TJ Husmanzada, and they were throwing the ball all over the place, and they were a three-wide receiver team. Uh, and that was really the Colts and the Bengals, I felt like, doing it at the time where everyone was still a little bit transitioning into what we see this offense uh, in the league look like now. So they were forefront there and at least copied the best offenses in the league, at the very least, which was the Colts and Peyton Manning, to the point of when it became necessary to – be a running team or hide the offensive line or, you know, take advantage of where they spent a lot of resources, they would gear it that way. But then when it went to Jay Gruden, he allowed Jay Gruden to bring a lot of that stuff from, you know, a lot of weird stuff, a lot of West coast stuff too, that they didn't run before. Uh, And a lot of, especially with Hugh Jackson, I mean, they were running things with two offensive linemen out split out wide and just three offensive linemen under center or at the, in the middle of the field uh, in they would get creative. They threw a ball back to Andy Dalton. He caught and ran for a touchdown. And everyone's like, whoa, this isn't Marvin Lewis, is it? But he allowed his coordinators to put their imprint on the offense, especially. And he allowed Mike Zimmer to run his defense. Mike Zimmer, you see a lot of uh, double A gap looks, sugar in the A gap, as they'll call it. That Mike Zimmer made that trend around the league. And he did that in Cincinnati and showing two linebackers up there and making the offensive line cover for six guys, black six guys when only four were coming. And that gives you a lot of advantages. So there are a lot of things he has set and started, or at least embraced if, Even if you don't, you know, don't want to say he started those trends in the NFL, he at least embraced them and said, guys, if it works, we're going to do it. Uh, so he's not completely old school in that way that he wants to ground and pound win with defense because there were a lot of times he did not have a good defense and had to rely on the offense. He has definitely built himself a uh, a coaching tree that you can find yeah. around the NFL. Obviously, I think some of those branches have been cut already. But, you know, as you said, Jay Gruden and you, you brought up Mike Zimmer too, like just guys who kind of came through Cincinnati and went mm-hmm. on to become head coaches. So uh, do you do you know what kind of connections he would even have right now if he if he was to become a head coach like you know he would definitely probably have connects across the NFL on who he would want to bring in for uh, for his coordinators. He always did, and it seemed like it would always be someone you didn't expect, or at the same time, it could be someone you did. I mean, Hugh Jackson was wide receivers coach with the Bengals in 05 when they went to the playoffs. Then he left, was a quarterback's coach for the Ravens, um, got the head coaching job with the Raiders. And that's where the Carson Palmer trade went down. And then when he was fired from the Raiders, they brought him back as running backs. And I want to say secondary coach or wait, first it was secondary coach. 
and then it was offensive coordinator. And then after he got fired from Cleveland, it was running backs coach. Like, so like he will bring guys back constantly and we would get tired of it to be honest with you. I mean, he, <laughs> they signed Andre Smith maybe six times after letting him go off his rookie deal. And it was like, all right, enough of that. You got to know someone else out there. Don't you that can play right tackle. And that could be the Bengals limitations having the smallest scouting department in the league. Right. So I, right. we don't, we never knew, but he, under Marvin Lewis, they always brought back guys, whether it was coaches and players. It made me believe it was him. Uh, that was the thing also, and I don't know if that how that question would come up, but he relied on veterans much more than rookies. We'd go through a whole rookie year like, why didn't you play that guy? What? I mean, that's a second-round pick that's got to play at some point. And he got, a guy got 80 snaps all year and ended up being good in year two. It's like, come on, Marvin. you gotta you got to <laughs> trust these guys a little bit. So um, I think he trusts what he knows. So what's that mean? I mean, Paul Gunther just got fired in Oakland as the defensive coordinator. Uh, he was a just – he was a young guy that got hired as like a, um, a uh, consultant or like a specialist, one of those low end defensive jobs and ended up being a linebacker assistant and then the linebacker coach then defensive coordinator. Uh, he brought Leslie Frazier is a guy that's now the Bills defensive coordinator. He had Leslie Frazier back in the 2000s as a Bengals defensive coordinator. He's had connections, had guys that have run through the league. Uh, Jay Gruden, obviously, we've mentioned already before. So Bill Lazor, another one that, that has been with him. Uh, Alex Van Pelt, another. I mean, I, he's had these guys under him that have had a lot of experience in the league. I think he would easily. It's really, from a Bengals perspective, the biggest issue we've had with Zach Taylor is he could not fill out a staff. Like, it's weird. You interview a guy, right? And one of the questions that I've been told you ask is, okay, so who would you bring with you? Right. And they usually are ready to say, okay, I got this guy. I can bring this guy, this guy. And that's our staff, and it looks good. And you're not just hiring that guy. You're hiring the staff he's going to build. Right. I don't know what happened in in Cincinnati when they they interviewed Zach Taylor, but he couldn't hire a defensive coordinator when he got out there. Like, Mm -hmm. three people turned down the job, didn't even want to interview. Another guy said, nah, never mind. I'll just go back and coach coach uh, college two guys actually Ohio State and Florida and then they end up with some guy who is now they're keeping for the third straight year because I don't think they can find another defensive coordinator so that has been a big change and one of the biggest criticisms we've had of going from Marvin to Zach Taylor is man it was never a problem to fill out a staff with Marvin he always had good guys underneath them and now it's a big difference yeah and and that might you know be of, of big importance for the Lions. They, they keep talking about how they want someone with experience either at that GM or coaching level. And so a guy with a lot of connections will not only bring a, a you know, head coach with a lot of experience, but probably bring an entire staff full of a lot of experience. So um, I think that that'll rank highly on, on the Lions wish list. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, cause I've talked to some fans over the, uh, over the past few weeks. And uh, it is funny a little bit to me that I, I've had some guys saying like, you know, why, why are all these names coming out that are, you know, coordinators to be first time head coaches. I want a guy with experience and I want a guy who can just take us to the next level. And I just have to tell people like, this is, this is the territory you're going to be looking at here. Like, right. I, I don't know. I'd, I don't. And and I, I would just say to those fans, too, is like because, again, the as I opened up and I hate to bag on a bit, but the the perception of Marvin Lewis would have been someone who is 
not a winner, but a loser. And because probably he lost those, those playoff games and because he feels like a retread, but I have to let people know it's like, this is the kind of stuff you're looking for. If you want a guy with experience, there's not going to be a guy who's like currently killing it in some other team. Who's just going to up and pack up everything to come to the, to the lions. You're going to have to take a risk on some of these guys. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only one of those people are you're picking from maybe college. And then a lot of those college guys, they, they don't even want to leave the college ranks. They're, yeah, they're, and they're very comfy over there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to stop myself because before we get the Twitch chat mad at me again, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, though, it happened, what, one time Andy Reid was really like the only guy who was let go. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, your team and should even, probably hire him. And even then, I remember people saying Andy, like not a lot of people put a lot of faith in Andy Reid just because the perception of the Eagles at the end of the Andy Reid era was just this is they're going nowhere. Right. That they couldn't get it done. Right. That was the idea right. that yeah. they could get there. But we don't think Andy Reid right. could get it done for whatever reason. They had good defenses. His offense, not good enough. Uh, and then you, you got like a Chiefs. If you look at the Chiefs record before Andy Reid, too, it was just OK. Oh, man. Time. Wow. Largely yeah. bad. And, yeah. you know, that's so I don't think Marvin is Andy Reid because I don't think he's going to bring a system that I know will work. Right. That's kind of the thing I look yeah. for, too. If you guys are going through this right now, it's like, all right, is this defense corner going to bring this system? Is this offensive guy going to bring his system? Because those are tangible things we can look at from the outside and say, I want that. But really, we have no idea once they get in here. Right. How many times you hire a guy that's like, oh, he's ran the defense in New England. We, he should be able to run that here. And then the defense sucks. And so hmm. what do you do? Sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> I, I got two very quick questions about uh, about how things ran in in uh, Cincy. And the first one is is very petty, and it's just something that I get caught up in every single game. How is he a, as a game day manager in terms of like timeout usage, aggressive fourth down, that sort of thing? Those are the things that drive me crazy on game day, and the, and the things I can very easily point to as failures in coaching. So how how does he pass uh, in his time in Cincy? Half of my articles were about the Bengals not being aggressive enough and not doing the right thing. They would punt at the 40-yard line oh in boy, a game oh that's boy. 13 to 16, and I'm like, what are you doing? There's not enough time. You're not going to get the ball back. You don't punt to Pat Mahomes, not that they ever did, but that's the right. idea. You can't do it. Um, right. Yeah, it's horrible. If there's one thing that the Bengals upgraded, even getting a way worse record under Zach Taylor so far is that Bengals do the right thing on fourth down. Now they do the right thing in terms of aggressiveness when not to kick field goals, never kick field goals ever again, please. If you honestly have a good offense, field goals are wins for the defense. In my opinion, Um, if I could never punt again, if my team was like, Oh, we're not going to punt unless we're down in our own 30 and in, I'd be like, great, let's go forward with it. Well, Marvin Lewis will punt and he will kick field goals. And um, I'm just not down with that stuff. Fair enough. And then my other one, um, I, I do want to talk about the the culture that seemed to have uh, grown in, in Cincy in terms of the reputation of their players. Um, yeah, I, I want to get it, on this too. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like at, at some point, maybe it's just the individual players. Maybe these were the kind of people that Marvin Lewis was targeting or whatever. But obviously, uh, you know, aggressive on the field, penalties on the field, some some issues off the field um, with guys like Vontez Perfect, obviously the, the one that comes to mind first. Um, yeah. Was this a, something that was Marvin Lewis's fault? Is this something that Marvin Lewis would even consider a fault and maybe even a strength? What what happened there? 
And it wasn't just 2015's roster either that had that meltdown in an epic way. It was, remember the 2000s, they were like the team that was always getting arrested. And yeah. Yeah. they always had guys that was like, oh, there's another Bengal player arrested. And it was embarrassing. But yeah, I was, I was actually on the radio um, on a morning show. And I believe when TJ Hushmanzada shared a story about bailing an unnamed Bengal out of jail <laughs> at seven in the morning, and then they went and played a football game. Yeah, I you hear a lot of stories that are just what? Like, no yeah. wonder you guys didn't win anything. Um, Marvin Lewis had, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Chad Johnson had Hugh Jackson in a headlock in the halftime of the 2005 uh, playoff game. And yeah, no wonder you didn't win. I mean, there's a lot of weird stories and a lot of stuff you could probably uh, hear that just go, oh my God, no wonder players want it out. No, but here's the thing, okay? And and you don't excuse that because I have two two. Two different ideas I look at this. Number one is they had a tough time acquiring talent, right? So they had to go get, hey, Pac-Man Jones, you've been out of the league for your, for two sure. years. Here's a one-year cheap deal. We could really use a corner, and it worked out. Pac-Man was good for them. You know, it boiled over and didn't work in 2015, uh, 2015 as he tries to push Joey Porter, who Joey Porter, by the way, punched left tackle Levi Jones in a casino in Vegas, come up behind him and sucker punched him. So he had that coming for a long time. Screw <laughs> Joey Porter. <laughs> and so, and so you, you know, when you have to sign these guys because they're cheap and because your, your roster is lacking and you know it and you go out and you're doing whatever it takes to get it over the hump, I can respect that. Uh, I think the other part is when you play the Steelers, right? We I don't know who this is for you guys. I don't know if you guys have this in Detroit, but fuck the Steelers completely. And I don't know if I can swear on here, but we oh, hate the Steelers please. completely because <laughs> they're bullies and they never get called for it. And they're they're tough. They're strong. They're fast. They're good. But they I, push a little too hard. They go a little too far. They hit a little too much. Uh, they cry for the flag. They cry to the refs, and they get the call. They're like the bully that hits you, you hit them back, and then the, the, the principal says, hey, you're in trouble because you because they caught you and not the bully. And the Bengals did that. They matched their intensity in 2015. They said, because uh, Ryan Chizier knocked out Giovanni Bernard in the first right. quarter with a headshot, no penalty. Yeah. Uh, their safety, Mike Mitchell, lays out uh, Tyler Eifert, no penalty, right? Bengals said, all right. We're taking over. We're going to get physical. We're going to hit them back. We're going to play their game. But when you don't do it every week, you don't know how to control it. And they let it boil over. And they let the Steelers poke them until the point where they just gave the game away on that last drive. And so you go, okay, you tried. Yeah, it's like three three things. I started with two things, and then I started putting up a third <laughs> finger. One, on that game, like, I, I'm sorry, that's on the refs. Because, yeah, like, when you let stuff like that go early on what happens is guys realize they're not going to get called or the refs aren't going to step in to control it so it's just going to become headhunting at that point uh two i mean that's just uh, I, I might as well go and say it as far as the team we have for the lions like i'll just go ahead and say it the writing's on the wall every it, it's a it's the damn packers i don't yeah, know if every, they get physical like that but as far as not everyone called, in chat is saying packers packers, 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 packers. yeah 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 believe the packers um three I have a theory about this too when it came to the Bengals because I feel like that's just the state of the AFC North because not the Bengals were included in this. The Bengals, the Ravens, and the Steelers, they have all had coaching staffs that have been there for a very long time. Unlike the rest of the NFL, not a lot of turnover with who is actually on their staff. And that's honestly how rivalry, because guys are getting flipped all the time in the NFL now, rivalry isn't being passed between players. It's being passed between coaches now a little bit. And when you have three teams with longstanding staffs, 
like I mean, we just saw it this year, Jeremy, uh, Joe, like this 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 thing where like the Bengals and Raven the Ravens are mad at the Bengals because they kicked a field goal and broke a, a yeah. shutout. Like that's the those are the kind of tempers that are happening in the <laughs> AFC North. It's if if it looks dirty, then by God, it's not it's not just the Bengals there. All three of those teams are guilty. And you look at the division from like 2010, this last decade, if you want. Um, you know, there are no Browns divisions and championships in there, but they've been the Browns. But man, it's been split between the Bengals, Ravens, and Steelers. Like, you'd be surprised how often those teams are making the playoffs. Two of them, three of them at times. And it's like they're fighting for each other, they're fighting against each other, not only through the regular season, but. They've played each other too much in the playoffs, man. Now you play the Steelers twice, 05, 2015, <laughs> and lose the way you do. But the Ravens and Steelers have had playoff games. I mean, it is just bad blood in that division. And, well, the Browns made it this year, the playoffs. Good for them. I, you know, I'm actually kind of happy for them. But Yeah, uh, but the monkey's you know, paw kind of curling yeah, right now, I'm going to say. <laughs> but even three weeks ago, the Bengals on Monday night, they beat the Steelers with Ryan Finley in there. And it's like, you know what? Screw draft position. Penny Sewell. <laughs> do it. Go all the way. Crush them. And, you know, they did. So that was fun. All right. Uh, wrapping up here. I do have a couple more questions for you. One comes from our Twitch chat. Um R.L. Raiden asks, would Marvin Lewis like to take a lesser job like a defensive coordinator or assistant head coach position? Is that something you see him potentially doing, even though he's kind of this late in his career? I don't think he would. Uh, I think he would want the head coaching job or nothing, or he'd just be cool with retiring or, you know, being an assistant somewhere in, uh, close to home. Uh, but, I, you know, I talked to, with you guys a, a little bit about a uh, succession plan he had with, Hugh Jackson, if Hugh Jackson would take over uh, or follow Marvin from 2015 in the transition to 2017 range, and Hugh Jackson ended up taking the job in Cleveland. So I do wonder if he, whatever staff he built, if he's like, okay, this is like a three-year thing, maybe, you know, or four years, and I'm going to have these guys ready below me to take over because that, he could have stepped down at any time and it would have been Mike Zimmer, Hugh Jackson, or, um, or Jay Gruden taking over the Bengals, and he just – outlasted them not on purpose but because Hugh Jackson didn't want to accept the plan Uh, so I wonder if there would be some type of all right I'm going to take the head coaching job but this guy here is a future head coach he's gonna be my offensive coordinator and I'm going to groom him into that role for three years down the line and then my last question and I think this has kind of been lingering over the entire podcast because a lot of things that you've been mentioning seems to remind a lot of Lions fans of a certain person. So uh, I'm taking this question from our own Ryan Matthews. He wanted me to ask you on a scale of one to 10, what would you rank Marvin Lewis? I'm, I'm sorry, a scale to one to Jim Caldwell. What would you oh. rate Marvin Lewis? He's uh, definitely Jim Caldwell completely. And, you know, I kind of wonder how you guys feel about that. Like looking back of, you know, should we have just stuck with Jim Caldwell? Would he have been all right? Could we have built a better team around it or, you know, better staff with him? Um, And, you know, there's some of those same questions with Bengals fans and Marvin. There's still a lot of Marvin defenders in Bengals fans that say, yeah, I'd rather be eight and eight than three and 13. And there's some truth to that. But I think at the end of the day, what's the ultimate goal, right? Uh, we'd all love to just go to the playoffs again and, and enjoy a playoff victory. But uh, you eat that same food every day. You start to go, you know, I'm ready for the next one. I'm ready for whatever that is. I'm ready for change. And the Bengals were were at that point of, all right, we've been in the playoffs. We've been getting embarrassed on the playoffs. We've been getting embarrassed in the in prime time. What is the goal here? What are we actually trying to do? Let's be honest. And the honesty is you want to win a Super Bowl. Do yeah, it's, it's- this guy can take your poorly run franchise to that 
to that ultimate goal. And we had to come to the conclusion of, no, he cannot do it. We're going to have to find a special guy. And if that means some bad seasons in between, well, then so be it. Yeah, it's the old Talladega Nights line that uh, I've been falling in love with recently. It's if, if it ain't if you ain't first, you're last. That's right. <laughs> Fans just feel that way. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's really the point I, I want to. You have to decide is just making the playoffs or just being competitive good enough for you. I know when you're when you're starving, a cracker tastes great. Right. But Oh, yeah. How many Jeremy, how many Lions fans do we have? It's like just one playoff win. I just want right. one playoff win right. in my life. Let me tell you, once you have that first playoff win, you're going to be hungry for a lot more. Went to the playoffs five straight years, six out of seven years. And now they didn't win one, but it was not enough. I mean, the standards got so high so quickly of, yeah. all right, he's not good enough to do it. We got to, we got to let Andy Dalton go. We got to let Marvin Lewis go. We got to figure this out. I'll tank a whole year, get a quarterback. Let's get back there. It wasn't that simple, obviously, but yeah. I feel much closer to the Super Bowl now than I did even with some of those Marvin years, because you get the right quarterback and you feel like you have a chance in this league. If you can hit the right coach and the Bengals may not have, but I also don't think Marvin is that guy either. Fair enough. And and I, I think Lions fans can certainly relate because, I mean, every, everyone was on the fire Caldwell wagon. Almost everyone was on the fire Caldwell <laughs> after back to back nine and seven seasons. Not me. Not you. And and I, I was hoping for another year. But regardless, we had gotten to a point, you know, just, you know, not even 10 years in the rear view where this team was 0 and 16 and suddenly mm-hmm. nine and seven wasn't good enough. So <laughs> I think you're right. And I think literal words, literal words from upper management that <laughs> yeah. nine and seven wasn't good enough. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I think that's why a lot of people are looking at this interview as something like it, it's not something to get that excited about um, because we just got rid, you know, of Jim Caldwell not that long ago. And granted, we we know what's on the other side sometimes um, and taking now risk on know. a guy uh, yeah. might result in Matt Patricia. And now we are two years later in Cincinnati with uh, Zach Taylor and we, we still don't know what he is. It's weird because they've had such a weird two years now, but you know, chances are he's not going to pull this around, right? You don't win six games in two years and then pull it out. Uh, so you already got the conversation of, all right, well, who's the next coach? And people are like, well, I'll take Mike Zimmer. And I'm like, man, would you, I mean, is that where you want to be? Do you want to just get back to the playoffs within two years now? The bar has been lowered right back down. You raise it quick, you lower it very quickly and you'll accept anything. By the way, enjoy this entire offseason of people pointing to Kyle Shanahan as the, the evidence that someone can turn their coaching or career oh, around in the third year because we just went through that last year. So much fun. You're going to love oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's Joe Goodberry. Uh, thanks for joining us. Joe, where can the people find you if they want to hear more from you? Check me out on Twitter. I don't just talk Bengals, especially draft season. I will uh, talk a lot of things, uh, football and NFL draft player evaluation at Joe Goodberry, just how it sounds. Or if you do like comic books, movies, or just weird stuff that I like to make, uh, that's a good conversation there too. Yeah, Arif, Arif told us you you were handy with a 3D printer. Which oh, I've got great. I'm 3D printing some Mandalorian armor right now, actually. Dang, so maybe if you all got some requests and some money. Hit up Joe Goodberry at Joe Goodberry on Twitter. Joe, thanks for all the information. Really appreciate you joining us tonight. Thanks, guys. It was fun. And appreciate you guys listening. Be sure to listen to our full-blown podcast, which is probably coming either Monday night or Sunday night. We're still working those out. Uh, But until then, it's chaos. Be kind. (laughs) 